All right, why don't we stand together? Welcome if you're visiting. We, uh, we've been going through the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, and we've been starting, uh, this I believe is week 11 already. Uh, we've been reciting it together, and we've been asking the question, uh, are we praying or just saying, right? So uh, if you know it by heart, maybe you want to close your eyes and try it by heart. Uh, this morning. If not, you can look at the screens or your Bibles and uh, we'll recite it together. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Ready? Begin. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. You may be seated. Prayer. Prayer is FaceTime, right? Many of you prayed, I'm guessing, in some form this morning. We've been asking a question for 11 weeks. This morning when you prayed, was it FaceTime with Father? Were you praying? Or just saying this morning, right? Was it FaceTime? Was it FaceTime? Last week I, I shared, you know, it's one thing in our technology, we text and texting's cool, it's really convenient. But if you say, hey, let's FaceTime, suddenly the whole dynamic changes. And suddenly it's real, more real, even though, you know, it can be with someone, my mom in San Diego or someone around the world, whatever. But to see another person on a screen suddenly changes it. It's, it's less objective, maybe. It's more personal. And we've been working through what it means to pray, right? This model prayer when one of the disciples asked Jesus, hey, teach us to pray. And we've been camped here because the word pray is such a churchy word that it's one of those things, if we're not careful, we just dismiss. I know how to pray. I've been praying since, right? Don't we pray before we eat? Don't we pray before we go to sleep? Don't we pray? Yeah, I pray all the time. Do you? Are you praying or just saying? And for many of you, this journey through the summer has been, I think, challenging. I've heard really good things uh, and many things that have been not so easy. Because many of us, quite frankly, we got it down pat, right? And when I challenged at the very beginning, right, we've looked at these, these different heart levels of this prayer, right? Father Abba, Father King, Father Provider, Father Communicator, Father Forgiver, and finally, you're here, Father Protector, to actually have FaceTime with Father at the heart level, seeing him in those different capacities in your life personally, radically changes your, your, not just your concept of prayer, but how you pray. For some of you, 11 weeks ago, I challenged you that very first week. Hey, instead of saying, Dear God, or Hey, Lord, or whatever you say regularly, I challenged you week one to start your prayer with Jesus' own admonition to say what? Our Father. I challenge you that, 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 that first Sunday. Hey, maybe when you leave here this week, start your prayer with Father, because that's what Jesus says. We're his children. He's Abba. We now, in the new covenant, relate to him at the familial, intimate level. And that was revolutionary to the, to the time and context. The religious leaders freaked out. Like, are you kidding me? Did he just say we're supposed to speak to God, Yahweh, as Abba, Papa, Daddy? Yeah. 
And for some, 11 weeks ago, your prayer life, your relationship with Father has changed because you have changed. Because you have been following the model that Jesus gives us. It's a model. Not necessarily meant to be recited rote, right? It's a model, and we've been looking at this model. And the heart of it is relationship. Under the new covenant, we are born again into the family of God. We are now children of God, and we are learning. The whole idea of following Jesus under the new covenant is learning how does this work? How does this work? And one of the things in the Sermon on the Mount we came into in Matthew 6 was, well, this is how prayer works as a child of God. And for some, you, you, you stepped right in because maybe you didn't have a lot of church background and you've just adopted it. And it's like, awesome. I've never heard this before. Others, it's been challenging because you grew up in a church and very, very, maybe a very liturgical church. Maybe you recited the Lord's Prayer since you were five years old. And so this whole idea of shifting from religion and rote to relationship, uh, a little bit challenging. Maybe relating to father has been challenging because your own relationship with your earthly father wasn't really intimate and familial, right? And so experiencing prayer time with heavenly father, calling him father, expecting him to listen, to speak to you and you to listen and have this give and take. It's been very challenging for many. If we're going to be praying and not just saying and we, 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 we've been working through it. I encourage you, listen to the other ones because they kind of layer on each other. Matthew 6.13 says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Right? Before this, it was forgive us our sins. So that, that phrase, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, that part of the prayer was kind of looking back. Oh, Father, I don't want there to be anything between us. I don't want, I don't want to sin. I don't want to grieve you. If there's anything between us that I've done, I want to make it right. We spent weeks on that. Confession, forgiveness. This prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, it's forward-looking. Look at it that way. It's forward-looking. It's like, Father, it's a prayer of protection. I'm about to launch into this day. And Father, I need your protection. I need you to guard my heart. And we've seen there's a world that is dead set against the Bible and against what we believe. There's an enemy. There's a devil. We talked about that two weeks ago. Spiritual warfare. We're going to talk about that more in a couple of weeks. The last place the enemy wants you to be is where? Here. Hearing the word of God. This is the last place the enemy wants you to be. So if your morning or last night or this morning was a little cray-cray, there might be a reason. There might be a reason. This is the last place. The, the spiritual warfare is real. It's real. And if you don't believe that, then you've already been duped by the enemy. Right? The enemy's not going to come to you, big, scary devil with a pitchfork and a red tail. Why won't the devil come to you that way? Because he's going to scare you right to Jesus. That's not, the devil's a lot, lot smarter than that. Right? The Bible says he masquerades as an angel of light. So this spiritual warfare, don't expect it to be like necessarily scare you to Jesus type of stuff. You know, it's much more subtle, much more subtle. And that's what this prayer of, of protection, this temptation, this testing, right? Martin Luther says it this way. What does this mean? God tempts no one. 
We pray in this petition, right, the petition, that God would guard us and keep us so that the devil, the world, and our sinful nature may not deceive us or mislead us into false belief, despair, and other great shame and vice. Although we are attacked by these things, we pray that we may finally overcome them and win the victory. Why We're going to camp here, and we've been camped on this, this uh, prayer of uh, protection against temptation because here's the truth. One out of one people on this planet are tempted and tested. You may have been already today. You might be tempted, tested as you sit here. And you will probably be tempted or tested in some way before you put your head on your pillow tonight. Probably multiple. Multiple. Because the world, the flesh, and the devil, they never stop. It's constant. It's constant. Right? It affects everyone. Even in our culture, even the nature of technology can amp up this this temptation and this testing in new ways. Right? I came across this article where they surveyed 2,000 British adults about the impact of technology and patience, right? And I'm I'm guessing it's not much different for us in the United States, but this is 2,000 British adults. It says this, respondents reported becoming frustrated after just 16 seconds of waiting for a web page to load. Anyone? 16 seconds of watching that thing go like this, right? I got this uh, this ring doorbell and chime thing at my house. Just put it in, and our internet went down. I'm trying to reload it last night. The Lord has His ways of preparing His pastors. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, reset for five seconds and wait for it to start blinking slowly. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And Truth be known, it probably was like a minute. But I'm like going ballistic, right? Because of the pace, the pace. So 16 seconds for a web page to load. 25 seconds of waiting for a traffic light to change. Anyone? A traffic light. Okay, how many of you, you're maybe first in line. How many of you get so impatient, you're looking over there to see when it turns yellow? (laughs) Just to make you feel better, like it's not broken. Like literally. Literally, right? How many of you, midnight, and you're going to be a law-abiding citizen, and it's red, and there's nobody awake in Ohio, and you're like, oh, red light, it's signaling the post office. And you're good for about 25 seconds, and then you start to get tempted. Anyone? Tempted to run them in good old Ohio late at night when you know, right, right, right. 25 seconds for a traffic light to change, right? Waiting in line seemed to especially annoy respondents, with 45% admitting they had lost their temper after waiting an excessive amount of time. But what exactly is excessive? Respondents said just 30 seconds of waiting in a line would be enough to try their patience. 30 seconds, right? And half said they are likely to switch to a different line if they aren't, if the one that isn't moving fast enough. Costco, 
Costco, how many of you spy out which line is moving faster in Costco? And then you kind of shift over and you're like, really? And then they move because it was like a family of eight. You're like, oh. How many of you? Okay, freeway. Freeway. You're scanning the lanes. Which one's moving? And you're, you're that guy or girl, right? How many of you have been so impatient you think you got the lane? And you're stopped and the car you passed. Because you start looking at cars. How many of you look at the cars that you're ahead of? It's a game. It's like that blue van. I've got to stay ahead of that blue van. And you switch. You're just like, yeah. And you got this mind game and no one else in the car knows. And then you stop and the blue van goes by. And you're like, oh. How can the carpool lane be stopped? There's no exit. What? It's the carpool. Anyone? Can we, can, right? Yeah, we got issues, right? There's issues. Now, this is just like time and patience. Now, multiply that into your finances, your relationships. Are you tempted? Does the testing come? All the time, right? This is just kind of a fun way to look at it. But, man, this, this Lord, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from real. It's real. This is like real deal stuff. Even with the, I mean, most often with the people we love the most, right? And, and we've seen, very important, the definition of, in the Bible, the word tempt really means test, okay? This is, this is one of those deeply rooted things. Usually when we think of the word tempt or temptation, you associate it with some kind of vice, some kind of sexual sin, maybe some kind of addiction. That's not the primary definition of the Bible, Okay, that's not what it means. The word, uh, the Greek word for tempt means test, really trials, testing, or proving. It's like you have a precious metal and you test it or you prove it to test the quality of it. That's what the word means. Now, it does have the element of inducing or enticing to sin. That's just an element of it, right? So you see this in 1 Peter 1.6. It says, in this you rejoice. So now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the idea is not so much being enticed or seduced into some sort of sexual sin or some sort of vice. It's a testing it's a testing, right? And you have to look at the context to see really what's going on. Now, is it a sin to be tempted? Okay. Let me ask that again because I was like, <laughs> and everyone kind of glanced around. Is it a sin to be tempted? No. How do you know that? Well, look at what the Bible says. Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest, this is Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been what? Tempted as we are, yet without sin. So, it's not a sin to be tempted. The real issue is, the real heart issue is, what do I, what do you do when you are tested, when you are tempted? What do you do with that situation? What choices do you make? Right? John MacArthur says this, the basic meaning of temptation, there's the Greek word, is simply to test or prove and has no negative connotation. Whether it becomes a proof of righteousness or an inducement to evil depends on our, our response. If we resist it in God's power, 
It is a test that proves our faithfulness. If we do not resist, it becomes a solicitation to sin. And so last Sunday, we looked at Jesus' first temptation, Matthew 4. And the Bible says that Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. But who led him to the wilderness? God, through the Spirit. So God allowed this testing where Jesus was tempted by the devil, right? And we learned, we learned a lot last week. One of the things, most important things that, that we learned is you have to be careful and you have to have this awareness that Jesus was tempted right after he was baptized. So he had this incredible mountaintop, we call it a mountaintop experience, baptized. God says, hey, this is my son, right? Incredible, supernatural, spiritual experience right into the temptation. And I said, you got to be real careful uh, when, you're, when things are going really good. When you have this mountaintop camp experience, you go to youth camp, you know, you maybe get baptized here, uh, you get saved, and it's just everything's good. Those are what we call mountaintops. You got to be careful. Because sometimes after, when the mountaintop, you let down your guard. And you get complacent. Right? And you get prideful. I got it. I don't need to go to church anymore. Things are good. I don't need to go to church. And then it says Jesus was, after 40 days of fasting, he was tempted to turn the stones of bread. So you got the mountaintops, and then 40 days of fasting puts him in the valley. You got to be real careful in your life when you're in the valleys. When your health isn't going well, your finances are tight, your relationships are strained, you're going through a desert. It's at those times you got to be real careful because you're not in a good place to make a good decision. And you're tempted and you're tested. And through this, what did we really see? That if it's, whether you're coming off the mountain or you're struggling in the valley, here's the core of temptation. This is, this is really the core because we tend, again, we tend to look at temptation as, a, as a, an issue, a sexual issue, a drug issue, an alcohol issue, a relational issue. What's the heart issue? Here's the heart issue that faced Jesus. He was tempted, he was tested to act independently of God. The core of testing, the core of temptation is when you and I are challenged in our faith to trust God, even though we don't understand it, we don't even particularly like it right now. At the core, the heart issue is whether or not you or I are going to choose to act independently of God and his revealed will. I got this. I, I'm going to take control. How many of you have struggled with God's timeline in your life for answered prayer? He just didn't seem to move as quickly as you would like. Anyone? Okay. Case in point. When you are praying, I've been praying, I've been praying, praying, and God's not answering, God's not answering. You know, what is the temptation? The temptation is to no longer wait because you're no longer trusting him. Now your mind's spinning about, really, does he really love me? Is God really good all the time? They say that the church every Sunday, but God never answers my prayers, or is he slow? So now you're, now you're accusing him. Now his character is smeared in your eyes. And now you are tempted, you are tested to what? Act independently. Take control. I got it. I got it. That is the root. If you think, think in your life right now, areas of your life where you are tempted and tested, and ask yourself, 
am I just really being challenged to act independent right now? And this is, this is one of these things that's really challenging for us in this country because we are raised to be what? Independent. Self-sufficient. Don't need anybody's help. Don't want to ask. And so the enemy knows that. And so we're tempted, we're tested in these situations where it's an issue of faith and trust. And in, in the back of our mind, we're like, come on, 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 come on. And it's tough. You know why it's tough? Because you get scared. And you get insecure. And you get worried. And you get anxious. And you get angry. Right? You get bitter. You're raging. So all this emotion is welling up. And all these thoughts now are coming into your head. And and, and at the end, what is the end result of all these thoughts and emotions and things that are pouring into you? You say, if I just do this, it's going to feel better. I can handle this. I can make all of this go away just like that if I just do this. Why don't I just do this? Well, I don't know about you, but for me, there's been a lot of times in my life where I have been put in the vice of emotion and circumstance, and I just pull the trigger, and I just do it because I just need some relief, and I just made it ten times worse. I just make it a hundred times worse because I could not resist acting independently biggest challenge because i was raised pretty independent i was raised to do my own thing i was my own boss right and this whole idea of following jesus and he's diatheke and he's greater to lesser and to, you know following man this this whole core issue of temptation and testing how many things in your life how many things in my life really the core of it is you just you just you just you're ready to go right now. Some of you are ready to go right now and just just do it. You're just ready to act independently. Right? That, that's what we're up against. That's what we're up against. And we're going to camp here for a little bit because, honestly, the church hasn't handled the, the whole idea of temptation really well. Right? Because we just asked, is it a sin to be tempted? No. Okay, we say that here. Right? And yet the church, for, for however many years it's been going on, we've stigmatized being, just being tempted or being tested, right? 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, we're, all the temptations we face are common to what? Common to man. Everyone in here, whatever you're facing, someone in this room is going through it too, okay? It's common to everyone. It's not a sin to be tempted, and yet the church has stigmatized it. Rather than trying to one another, one another through our testings and temptations, right? This is what we do. Randy comes to men's group, hypothetically, and shares, hey, brothers, I was tempted this week. <gasps> Brother Randy, how could you? so he comes to men's group and he shares a temptation and rather than one anothering him and saying hey man okay what's going on with that what's driving that where where do you think this comes what do we do (gasps) 
How could you? We shame him. We guilt him. By our body language and by our... Mm, thought so. I just knew there was something sketchy about you, Brooks. Right? I just knew there was something sketchy about you, Dodger fans. Just kidding. <laughs> just checking if you're listening. Right? I'm a Padre fan, so... So what do we do? <laughs> yeah, don't hold that against me, right? So, so <laughs> it's not a sin to be a Padre fan either. So, so he comes, and in a moment of transparency, he's, he, he's, his heart is beating. He's been tested this week. And he comes, and I got to share. They talk about one another, and he takes this huge risk. And he says, hey, fellas, um, I'm being tempted, man. I'm being tested like you wouldn't believe right now. What do we do? Again, the church hasn't done this really well because we're like, oh, I'll pray for you, brother. I'll pray for you, brother. (laughs) And suddenly we disinvite him to things because, you know, we don't want to be around the bad influence. Isn't that how it works? Isn't that how it works? There's a phrase I learned years ago that, that really stuck to me. It's like the church, one of, the, one of the, the flaws, one of the weaknesses, one of the challenges of the church is that we're really good at shooting our own wounded. Right? This is supposed to be a place of redemption, a place of forgiveness, a place of grace. It's not a license to sin. And so we've stigmatized even being tempted when the Bible says that Jesus himself was tempted. So now the church, we come on Sundays... The Bible says everything you're going through, I'm going through, but we just look at each other on Sunday. Hey, 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 hey. And we can't even share real life. Can't even share. You know what they call the equivalent of the church? The neighborhood bar. Why do people go to the bar? Because they're accepted. All right, everybody knows your name. They want another. It's secular one anothering at the bar. Hey, pull one up. Let's pound some. Let's just talk about life. You too? You too? There's no guilt in the bar. People are sharing stuff freely with strangers. Right? They get that liquid courage and they let it fly. But they leave there going, man, they get me there. Right? Man, that's honesty in there in the world's view. And then in the church... Someone wants to be honest. Pray for you, bro. Want that on the prayer chain? Right? And, and, and that's why we got to camp here, because if we're going to really pray this, lead us not into temptation, we individually and we as a church, and it takes time, I get it, because the church is made up of people. In, I mean, imperfect people. Turn to the person next to you and smile and say, you too? We're all imperfect. It's imperfect, right? I've told you 10,000 times, if you find the perfect church, don't join it. Why? Because you'll mess it up. There is no perfect church. But it doesn't mean we don't keep striving in the power of the Holy Spirit to be what God calls us to be. Amen? So when Randy says, hey, I'm tempted, I'm tested, 
You know what the core, I may not, as a brother, I may not be challenging that exact same issue, but I'm still challenging that same heart issue to act independently. Because for him, it might be his finances. For me, it might be something else. But at the core, we're both struggling to trust God. We're both struggling to be obedient to God's word and stay in his will. That's what unites us in the temptation, not the issues. See, that's what we got to do. We got to get past all these stigmas of all the issues, issues, and say, hey, man, you struggling too? Me too. It's probably, it, we got to hang in there. We got to hang in there. And so we, we're going to camp here because the definition of temptation, how we've sort of uh, view it, how we view it in a church, how we handle it in a church, it just takes time to unwind some of that because it's deep. It's deep. I said all this right now, and some of you still right now are terrified to sell, tell someone that you even trust that's maybe sitting next to you. In front of you. You're still terrified to tell them what you were tempted with this week. And why are you terrified? Because you're afraid of rejection and what they're going to think about you at the core. You and your spouse. You and your best friend. Right? So I get that. This is, this is not something I'm just going to throw at you and say, hey, here's a verse. Go memorize. No, we got, we're going to camp here because this is real deal stuff. You're going to be tempted and tested the minute those doors fly open. And some of you are being it right now. You're being tested. You're being tempted. Ah, I don't listen to that. Uh, eh. You're being tested right now. You're being tempted right now just to dismiss all of this. Stay in your comfort zone. Stay secure. Because this is, this, this is challenging stuff, right? I shared with you uh, when we started this a couple weeks ago uh, that in June, uh, the Pope had, uh, I had read an article, and he had come out in June of this year where he had officially changed the Italian lit- liturgy, the wording of this portion of the Lord's Prayer, right? And instead of lead us not into temptation, in Italian, it's been officially changed to do not let us fall into temptation. Okay, this is a decree from the Pope. Uh, from my understanding, bishops in other countries and other languages have the freedom to choose whether or not to change their exact wording. But in the Italian liturgy, they, they have changed it to do not let us fall into temptation. Now, the heart of this, and I get it, is that the Pope felt that the phrase in the Bible, lead us not into temptation, kind of made it look like God induces people into temptation. And he, he, with the best of intentions, felt like, well, you know, no, I don't think that portrays God well. I, I want to I change it to, right, do not let us fall into temptation to kind of clear God's character. Well, I get that, and, and I understand that. But really, the Bible clears God's character all by itself. James 1.13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one, right? So uh, I'm a little bit challenged on, on that basis because the Bible itself clarifies and, and clears God of being a tempter. Number two kind of challenge with, with that change was that in the Greek, the actual words of Jesus in the Greek is lead. So if we're going by biblical authority in the Greek, Jesus uses the word lead that's not into temptation. So just lead is lead, right? It also goes back to kind of a narrow definition of temptation only kind of with 
uh, inducement to evil rather than broadly seeing it as testing and proving, right? Charles Spurgeon says this, God tempts no man. For God to tempt in the sense of enticing to sin is inconsistent with his nature and altogether contrary to his known character. But for God to lead us into those conflicts with evil, which we call temptations, is not only possible, but usual, right? James 1 says, hey, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. There's purposes behind God allowing trials in your life and in my life as his children, right? So technically when it says lead us not into temptation, technically God does allow us to be tested in the definition of the word, in the true definition of the word. So that's kind of challenging, you know, why I'm kind of challenged by this. But, but I was mostly challenged by the, by the phrase right there. Again, put the phrase back up. Do not let us fall into temptation. Right? If you look at it, do not let us fall into temptation. If you're not careful and if you don't understand the totality of Scripture when it teaches about temptation and testings, do not let us fall into temptation kind of sounds like passivity. Almost sounds like, if I do fall, it's your fault. Do you, do you see that? Hey, don't let me fall. Don't let me fall into temptation. There's a passivity behind that, right? There's, there's almost a, a blame. It, I, there's a lack. There's push, pushing off a responsibility. There's a pushing off. Hey, do not let us fall into temptation. And if I do, it's your fault. So there's kind of a passivity, there's a pushing off of personal responsibility and accountability. And that is not what the Bible teaches in this. Because James 1.14 says this, Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So if I give in to temptation, who's responsible for it? Me. I chose it. I ultimately made that choice, right? Second Peter 1.3, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Romans 6.6, 6, We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. Amen? All right. You said amen. Remember that amen next time you're tempted and tested. Because as a believer, remember, this is a new covenant prayer for believers. When you are tempted, when you are tested to the nth degree, and you're like, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. Can you ever say, I had to sin? Oh, it's quiet. Based on Romans 6.6, 6, which says we are no longer slaves to sin. As a believer, can you ever biblically say, I had to sin? No. Before you, before you could say it, because you were a slave to sin, you were dead. And you were dead. You are spiritually dead. Romans 6 says you are no longer slaves to sin. God has given you the Holy Spirit. You can say no. Everyone say no. Everyone say no. Okay, I'm, I'm just giving you practice for later. Because sometimes, literally, when you are tempted and tested, you might have to say no out loud. Amen? Like, literally, you might have to say no. And the person next to you be like, what? You wouldn't understand. Right? You might have to, based on the word of God. Amen? 
This is part of accepting responsibility. This is, see, do not let us fall into temptation. It's, it, I'm just going to go about my life, and if I fall, it's not my fault. And I asked you to keep me from falling. Biblically, we get up, we walk, we know biblically we've been getting everything we need. We have our sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We have the Holy Spirit in us. Amen? We get everything we need so that when we are tempted and tested, we can choose by faith not to act independently. We can choose it. It's on us. That's great freedom. Amen? Also great accountability, but God freedom. Because 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. So who knows your ability? Okay. Not you. Not you. Some of you limit your ability to your own thinking of what you can handle. And then you say, I couldn't handle it anymore. Who says? Who says? God knows your ability. And then he says this. Here's a promise. With the temptation, he will also provide what? The way of escape. So you're no longer a slave to sin, and there's always a way of escape. Do you have to give in to temptation? No. You're no longer a slave, and you've got to look for the out. There is a way of escape. Now, that way of escape might be uncomfortable, right? I think about Genesis 39. Remember Joseph and Potiphar's wife? Joseph is put in charge of the home. He's running it really well. His Potiphar's wife, his master's wife, you know, starts to have a thing for Joseph, tries to get him to sleep together, right? And Joseph's like, no, 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 right? Look what happens. Genesis 39, 11. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. Was there a way of escape? Maybe was it a little embarrassing? I'm just reading scripture. He keeps saying, no, 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 no. She's like, come on. He's like, peace out. He runs through the double doors, and she's still holding whatever he was wearing. Was there a way of escape? There was. The Bible says there's a way of escape. Now, that way of escape today, people might make fun of you. Oh, man, how come you're not? No one, everyone else is doing it. Oh, you're too good for us. Uh, there's a way of escape. And you and I are going to have to be... You're going to have to gear up for this because the way the culture is going, you and I are going to become more and more unpopular just because we believe the scriptures and desire to follow Jesus. And we're going to be tested. And by golly, you and I are going to have to one another and we might be holding each other's hands as we run for the exits together so that we honor God and not give in to temptation. Amen? Right? 2 Timothy 2.22 says this, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Flee. That's an action word. Right? We've got to flee. There's things you can do to take advantage of the way of escape. 
Is, will it be uncomfortable? Will they make fun of you? Will they call you names? Will they, yeah, yeah, but there is still a way of escape. There is still a way of escape. Jesus in Gethsemane, right? Matthew 26, he says this. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray, right? So he goes over there and prays and he does the famous prayer, right? Not as I will, not my will, but your will be done. And then in verse 40, he says this. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. What a great verse for us. Amen. Every time you get up, every, watch and pray. Now, that word watch, the word picture is this. It's a, it's a guard on night duty. It's a guard on night duty. Now, if you're a guard at night, you can't see everything as well as in the day. You're more vigilant. You're more, your senses, you're more in tune. You're listening for things because you just can't see everything. The sunlight is not there. You're on guard at night. When he says watch and pray, he's telling us, hey, are you, are you sleeping? Some of us are just spiritually asleep. Right? We're having mountain times. We're comfortable. And we just kind of hit the spiritual snooze button. And Jesus says, no, no, no. You have to be on night guard duty. Right? Because you got the world, the flesh, and the devil coming at you. From all directions. From all directions. Right? So we have the word, and we have the one another's. Andy Stanley, right? The primary activity of the church was one anothering one another. So if we're going to have victory over temptation and testing, A, we've got we to gotta be rooted in faith. We've got to stand strong in the word of God. But the truth is we need one another. It's the church. It's the church. Proverbs eleven fourteen, Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance or a multitude of counselors, there is safety. Right? I've been in ministry almost 30 years. This temptation to act independently, you know what I've seen it grow more and more and more, especially in the last decade, how it's manifesting itself? People not even coming to church anymore. Believers who believe that they don't need to one another, one another, is kind of an ultimate act of independence. Right? But 1 Corinthians 12, 12 says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. So the Bible itself says we can't be talking to, I don't need you. I don't need you. I don't need to go to Sunday church. No. That's one of the ultimate acts of independence, acting independently of God. Right? Ecclesiastes 4, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. How many of you in your life have been so thankful that when you fell, you had some people to pick you up? That's the one anothering. That was humbling probably. How many of you have ever had the I can't believe that moment and yet you had some brothers and sisters in Christ that just put their arm around you and said, keep on keeping on. Anyone? That's the one anothering. Now you've received it. Now you're supposed to go do that. You're supposed to go do that, right? 
Hebrews 10. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, that's a great verse. Not only are you supposed to commit to being here, when you're here, it's about giving and not getting. Look at the verse. Get together, stir up, and encourage one another. When you come together to church... You're supposed to be looking for ways to be giving, ministering, serving, loving others. I call it around here, did you come to give or to get? A lot of times we're coming to church just to get, get a good sermon, get good music, get good donuts, get good fellowship, get, 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 get. That verse says when you, when you meet together, you're to give, 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 give. That's where it comes from. This is the one anothering part, Right? It's the one another. And I told you before two weeks ago about spiritual spotters, right? You work out, it's always good to have a spotter. Spotter helps you do what? Push through. When you hit a plateau, right, Dave? Spotter helps you push through, right? And so I had some great conversations after that. And even some of you, I meet, you know, and and we're going to talk. And the two questions, what would you hear? What are you going to do with it? We're spiritual spotters, Right? Are you, do you have a spiritual spotter in your life who's going to help you push through some spiritual plateaus? You're there. You've made progress, but you want to PR spiritually, but you just got to get through this weight. Do you have someone who's going to help you? You're doing the work. They're just there. Spiritual spotter, right? And then I, I came across a video shared with me uh, about what they call the get-back coach. I don't know if any of you know. Uh, NFL starts today. actually started Thursday. And if you look on an NFL field, right, usually there's this really thick white line on the sidelines. Have you ever noticed the line is really thick, right? It's like six feet wide. That's the sideline. It's six feet wide, right? And technically, in the NFL, the only person who can be in there continuously are the officials and what they call the chain gang, the guys who move the 10-yard markers. No one else is supposed to be in that white area, okay? Now... You may not know that the NFL uh, has all the teams anoint someone what they call the get-back coach. The get-back coach. Now, what happens is in the course of a game, there's a big play. The players are all watching. They get excited, and they start to do this, and they get into the white area, and the get-back coach yells, Literally. So, right, touchdown, they're running, you've seen guys, they do this, they step out, and they want to see, and the get-back coach yells, get back, because if you don't, and, and you interfere with the ref, it's a penalty, and the penalty could cost you the game, so it's a big deal for you to cross the line, right? So the get-back coach yells, get back to the whole team. Now, in this video, they had Sean McVay, who's the head coach of the Rams, And Sean McVeigh is very intense, and he says, I don't do this very well, because in the middle of a game, he's so focused on the game that he'll start to drift, and he'll move into the area, right? And Sean McVeigh, and you may see him on TV, he has his own personal get-back coach. So if he's Sean McVeigh, right, and we'll call this the line, right, and he's watching, right, he literally has... His coach, and he's watching him. And the minute he does this, he'll do this. 
Now, Sean McVay will keep watching. They have this down to, it looks like a dance. So if he goes that way and he starts drifting, he'll do this. And he keeps watching the play. They don't even talk. They don't even talk. He doesn't get angry. He doesn't, he understands. He understands. There was this great play, Sean McVay, I think it was a kickoff. He was standing there and the players run this way. He was looking at the player and the, the guy was watching this and the, the referee was racing into the white zone and he timed it perfect. He went, and the ref went running by. <laughs> Thank you. Question. Do you have a get back coach? about when you and I get so focused on life and emotion comes in and we're starting to think it and we're just staring it down and we're crossing lines and we're into the flesh zone. We're into the I got this zone. Do you have a get back coach? Who will say, whoa, 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 come back here. Is there someone in your life you trust enough that, that you will actually thank them for pulling you out of the way of a charging bull coming down the sideline. Right? We all need get-back coaches. You really do. You need to see it that way. John McVeigh, he doesn't even flinch. He feels the pressure, and he comes right back, and he just keeps right on coaching. So what's going on in your life right now that maybe you're in this zone that you're not supposed to be and you've been mulling it and you're angry and you're scared and you're whatever and it just seems no end and you're you're ready to you're ready to act independently do you have a get back coach he says hey come here come here let's talk about this let's look at the scriptures together what's driving this man when randy comes to the men's group and he says hey Guys, I've been tempted. You know what we do? We put our and we say, hey, get back. Get back here, brother. We just get back brothers and get back sisters. Right? Because we all deal with it. So question, do you have a spiritual spotter? Maybe you hit a plateau. Maybe you're going through something and you need someone to get you through that sticking point. Or maybe you get so consumed with stuff of life that you're drifting into that zone and you're not supposed to be and you just need some loving brother or loving sister just to come alongside and say, hey, 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 come here. And just lovingly say, hey, get back. Get back. Because they love you and they care about you. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you that the ultimate get-back coach is Jesus. Because it says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect is tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. So, Father, I... Um, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters here and those listening. The truth is that we are tempted and tested all the time. And at the core of it, 
It's an issue of faith, and it's an issue of choosing not to act independently of you and your will, but to walk in faith in the power of the Spirit, power of the Holy Spirit. You've given us everything we need. We're no longer slaves to sin. You provide a way out. You know what we can handle. Father, help us to really believe what we say we believe. Father, if there's someone here who who needs over time to, to put some spiritual spotters in their life, I pray that they would take the risk to do that. Lord, I pray if we need a get-back coach, that maybe we would just over time, maybe even today, ask someone, hey, would you be my get-back coach? Hey, if you see something in my life where I'm drifting, where I've crossed lines, if you see me so into the situation that I'm not aware of where I'm standing anymore, would you, would you lovingly get me back? Would you get me back? I trust you. I believe you want my best. So I'm asking you if you see me in a place where I'm not supposed to be, would you be my gift back? Father, as we prepare for communion, um, we acknowledge that we need you. So thankful for what you provided through Jesus. Jesus, we do this once again in remembrance of you on the cross. But today specifically, we remember that you are our quote-unquote get-back coach. You want the best for us. So if we have succumbed and we have given in to sin and testing, Father, we confess it. We receive your forgiveness for it. We confess it. And then, Father, I pray for those here this morning that um, maybe don't have that relationship that they need to have. That they would enter a new covenant relationship with you by faith in Jesus alone. The Bible says we're saved by grace through faith. Not of ourselves. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Put your faith in Christ. Put your faith in Jesus alone for salvation. Be born again into the family of God. So we're going to open up the communion tables and encourage you, come on up. Just a time of reflection, a time of one anothering even. As you get up and if you're in line, just look around and recognize you're not alone. There's a lot of spotters. There's a lot of get-back coaches right around you called the church. So as a church family, we'll come up, we'll take communion, and then once everyone's served, we'll, we'll take communion together.